0: You're listening to The Boss Business of Surgery Series, Episode 91. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Kristen Yates. We talk about rebelling against the burnout culture that we learn as physicians. It's a great episode. And burnout is not the only problem that we face. Join me August 13th, 6 p.m. Central, for the free webinar, Thriving Despite Having Complications. Head to bosssurgery.com to register. Welcome, surgeons. (laughs) a conversation that's been in the works for about a year. Dr. Yates and I have been trying to coordinate our schedules for a long time. We both are surgeons and doing stuff at the same time and also working on our own podcasts and things like that. And she's working on her book as well. So it's taken a long time for us to get together, but I'm so glad that she's here now. So Dr. Kristen Yates is the rebel physician. She is an OBGYN who is helping us get out of our own way too. She's got lots of great and... Information. So I'm really excited that she's here. But first, Dr. Yates, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I was just thinking, I'm so excited to finally be having this conversation with you. So thank you for having me. So I am an OBGYN physician and I graduated from residency back in 2016. And I have my, my burnout journey started right away, basically. And my issue, I got all in imposter syndrome, self doubt, didn't think I was enough, felt nervous about everything found coaching, became a coach, burned out again because I brought that same hustle culture to my coaching business and going through my own spiritual journey, personal development journey. And as I've done that, realized that the last job I have didn't quite fit. So I've gone through a bunch of different transformations over the last five or six years. I live in Georgia now, work full-time as a physician still. I have four kids, just had my fourth kid about two months ago and just loving my new job and spending time with my family and dealing with this Georgia heat.
0: <laughs> so take me through this journey of going from one job to another, because I know that you mentioned that this was on paper, a terrible decision, but clearly there was some reason for it. Take us through that. Yeah, a totally,
1: totally terrible decision. So it was, it was, I'll try to hit the high points. It was maybe about two years in the making I was part owner of my private practice since like 2018 and then this is the job same job I had from residency and as I was changing really realizing how much I loved coaching and doing retreats on things outside of medicine I was just tired all the time and it was hard because as an owner of this practice and all the quote-unquote things that you should do as a doctor I was taking up a lot of my time but then my my nights and weekends were doing things that I really loved that really filled my cup. And it was overwhelming. I felt this huge burden to be everything to everyone. And then my family was getting not much of what was left of me. And I was just exhausted. And slowly over time, I realized that something in my medicine job needed to change. I need to change my hours. I need to go part-time. Something had to change. And initially being an owner, it was possible to make little changes here and there. Couldn't really go part-time. It's not what we needed and I was really worried about not letting my partners down. I was in that whole mindset of everyone else mattered more than me basically and eventually came to a head about a year and a half ago and I just we were getting acquired by the hospital across the street and that was four years in the making and it finally was happening and there were all these promises made about how my schedule could be different but then they weren't willing to negotiate with me to go part-time or really change anything. So It was just, it was very disappointing, but I made the decision to sign on with the hospital. Basically, I felt like I had to for the sake of my partners and our practice. So anyway, I signed on for 16 months, a 16-month contract. And then a week later, I just had this gut feeling that I had to quit. And which was the worst time to do that. I had just signed a contract. I just told my partners I could hang on for another 16 months and then figure out something after that. And I just knew the universe, God, something told me that it was time now. And I had been fighting it for a long time, like saying, no, it's not logical to do that. I cannot quit my job right now. I have to keep going. It doesn't make sense. We need money. I'm the, only, I'm the sole breadwinner for my family. I can't take any risks like that and it became physically taxing. I was always in pain, headaches, always tired. It just became really clear that I had to quit. So eventually I just said, fine, I surrender. <laughs> I surrender to whatever, to what must be, and I quit. And I gave four-month notice, and this was back in May
0: of 2022. I think that there's a really good point in there too, like that thought that comes up, like every everyone else is more important than me. Yeah. And you know when that thought comes up to us, there's something internally that says, "Oh no, I don't think so," yeah. and that's usually where we go against what seems logical. Because what what is logical is giving everything to everybody at the sacrifice of ourself. You know mm-hmm. that that's basically what we've been trained to do. So when you have this insight that everyone else is more important than me, and we internally reject that, and that's typically where like the physical symptoms come in is as we try to fight all that very obvious, this can't go on anymore. That's when we make decisions that seem illogical, but when you think about it are actually quite logical. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. And I think what was the turning point for me when I realized that, like, what am I doing? What am I doing putting everyone else's needs above my own and completely wearing myself out is I asked myself, like, if I had six months to live, What would my life look like? What decision would I make if I knew that I only had this much time left on this earth? And it sounds kind of morbid, but this is actually my secret weapon now. It really makes me appreciate life and it makes it very clear what my my values are. And when I asked myself that and I realized my life that I was living at that point looked nothing like how I would spend the last six months on earth if I knew I only had six months, then it became so clear. It's like, then why aren't I doing that? Because nothing is a guarantee. The future is not a guarantee. And with young kids, I just couldn't wait anymore to make a change.
0: I can imagine. So having gone through this yourself, how did you start to realize, or when did you start to realize this was the right decision for you? It really kind of, it's something that I
1: knew in my gut for a long time, for months. And I fought off because of the logic, right? Like I have to sign a contract. I can't let my partners down. What about my patients? What am I going to do if I don't find a job? All of these things that keep physicians stuck in their job. So it is something that I knew in my gut that was that I needed to do. I was just fighting it. And it got to the point where the, it, I couldn't go on like that by ignoring the logic. So I probably knew six months before then that I had to leave, but I pushed it off and pushed it off until it was even a worse time. And I had just signed a contract and I was going to be held accountable for that. But I wouldn't change a thing. That was the best decision I've ever made. And it kind of, I don't know if if you have like any spiritual beliefs, but I have like a spirit animal, (laughs) it's like a totem and it's a dolphin. And I got to this point, which sounds so silly. I got to this point where I was like so desperate for what to do next. I put it out into the universe. I said, just give me a sign. I need a sign to like, what do I do? And literally the next morning I saw all of these dolphins that telling me that it was time to quit. And that was as as silly as that sounds. I just knew that I couldn't go on fighting it anymore.
0: And you said it best. I mean, we already know the right answer. A lot of people come to me like, "Help me with this decision." I'm like, "You already know the decision." Yeah, you know, we, we really do. And and I think that it's the lack of trust in ourself and our ability to make decisions and the authority that we inherently have to make the decisions are the things that we're fighting. And that fight will not last long. Mm-mm. No, and it's.
1: I think you're right. We we lose that. And I I really truly feel that our medical, our education and our training conditions us out of that, our ability to trust ourselves. We are taught that the right answer is outside of us, or we have to have someone validate that we're doing the right thing, or a patient has to make, has to fill out a survey saying that we did a good enough job. And after a while, after years of that, we really do think we forget that we're in charge. Ultimately,
0: we're in charge of our own lives. Right. So Take me through this idea of the rebel physician. What does that mean to you? I
1: mean, rebel physician means practicing medicine in a way that you want to practice medicine and knowing what your values are and living living those values inside your job and at home. It looks like saying no a lot. It looks like realizing that you as a person have a purpose in this lifetime. And that purpose can be, an outlet of that purpose can be your job as a physician, but your job as a physician is not everything you have to offer the world. We are bigger than that. Being a doctor is just one aspect of our identity and not the whole identity. So I call it rebel physician because it is rebellious to to think that in medicine. We are taught that our patients get us 100% of the time and our job is our priority and we have to work and work and work until we're exhausted and then you should be proud of how many patients you can see and you should be proud of you just you sit up for 24 hours and you did surgery all night and all of these things that don't make sense it don't make sense we and and to be rebellious in medicine is to own your humanity and own your values and make your career in medicine fit into that and not the other way around
0: yeah, I think it's a great perspective. And so, take us through how you work with someone. Like, what are the steps that you take people through to, you know, get to this this place where you know you're creating this your own authentic life? So, I have this physician
1: identity quadrant that I created, and they're an X and a Y axis, and one axis is your level of authenticity, and what I mean by that is how much are you living your values basically? And the other axis is your level of non-attachment. And what that means is how attached are you to your identity as a doctor and how attached to you are, are you to your job for your own self value and self worth? And the more non-attached you are, meaning I'm, I know that I'm more than my degree and my job doesn't control me. And the more authentic you are living, meaning you have boundaries, you say, no, you know what your values are and you live them. Then you go from what's what I call a suffering physician, which is low authenticity, high attachment to rebel physician, which is the opposite, non-attachment and authenticity. And then other two quadrants are wandering physician and stuck physician, but most of us are suffering, meaning we, we don't feel valued unless someone tells us we're valued. We don't feel like we're enough unless we're a good enough doctor and we don't know who we would be outside of medicine. So from that place of suffering physician, we, we look at what are the, what are your values? What are your top five values as a human? Let's look at what they are. Are they play, family, travel, whatever, whatever they are, right? We have values that your job has <laughs> made you forget. And then we look at a, your dream and we all have a dream. Some of, maybe it looks like I want to set up a hospital in a third world country, or I really want to bring in acupuncture into my pain practice or something like that. There's a dream there. Or I wanna go and create a business that is that makes makeup. It doesn't really matter, we all have that. But we what we don't have the time or the energy to focus on it. So what are the values? What's your dream that you've never said out loud, because most of us haven't. And then we ask, what are the obstacles right now in your life that are preventing you from achieving that dream? And the obstacles actually create the roadmap that we need to get from suffering to rebel. And then we work through those steps basically.
0: What are the most common obstacles that you see?
1: Reliance on external validation, meaning if I do something that someone doesn't agree with, that might mean that I'm not good enough. I don't want to disappoint my patients. What will my employer think? External validation, fear, fear in many uh, forms, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear, fear of getting fired, fear of judgment from their colleagues and peers. Those are two of the most common ones. And then this deep dread and concern that I don't know who I am. If I'm not a doctor, I spent all of this time learning how to be a doctor and I don't want to throw that all away, quote unquote, throw it all away. And what does it look like for me to have my dream and be a doctor? And that's a hard thing to imagine when you're drowning in your work. All of those things are hard to overcome when you're just in survival mode.
0: Yeah. And how long does this process take to, for most people to to identify what their values are and their dream and the obstacles?
1: It depends. I think it takes not much time. It's much less time than people think. People think it's going to take me five years or, or a year to make changes, when in reality, it can take two weeks. It depends on how how ready people are to make a change. I mean, it really is like a switch. It's like, what I picture it is like, you're flailing around, right? You're metaphorically flailing around in medicine, like as if you're drowning, because most of us are. And when you're flailing around and no one's holding a hand out to you, they're just offering you some resiliency training bullshit or something like that, then there's no way you could take a breath and figure out what your next step is going to be, except for to respond to the next wave that's coming and crashing you down. So all it really takes is an hour sometimes to say what do you want what are your values and what's the next one step you have to take to get there so people it feels heavy and hard because we're drowning but if you we can take a step out and look around us and see what do i know? what's the next thing i need to do it doesn't really take as long as people think it is going to really
0: Think the, the biggest thing that I see people do is it, the first obstacle to overcome, I should say, is just stopping the treadmill. You know, yeah. the I've talked about growth days before, and I've built in my own academic day or, or an academic administrative day on Wednesdays, and that allows me like to stop the treadmill of things coming. Because when there's an endless stream of things coming, it's almost impossible yeah. to stop and reflect. And the ability to create spaces in your schedule for yourself to think for yourself is absolutely necessary um, because mm-hmm. it's impossible to think of yourself, but you're also thinking of other people and creating these spaces of time is the first and answering my own thoughts on the the question of how long it takes. I agree. It, it depends. And people come to us with a degree of certainty that's varies. You know, mm-hmm. one is like a miserable and I'm not sure why. And yeah. other times people can come with like that. Oh no, no. I know exactly why. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah at every variation in between. Absolutely. And
1: I think, I don't know if you found the same thing, Amy, but what I found is that we have just, it's almost like this learned helplessness, right? Like people forget that they are actually in charge of their own life and their own destiny. And it really just takes someone to be like, to remind them, like, you are in control here. You are in control. And what's preventing you from believing that? And let's deal with those things, right? And for most physicians, unfortunately, safety is a huge aspect of that. Like, I don't feel safe in my job. I'm worried I'm going to get fired. I'm worried I'm going to make a mistake. I'm worried that I'm not enough. So let's let's ground ourselves in some safety first mm-hmm. and then go from there. And you can't really feel in control and in, in, in your power without feeling safe first. But luckily for most of us, we can we can create that safety within us.
0: Yes, and I think the, the very first thing for establishing safety is realizing that we are the creators of all this. That When we shift out of reacting mode, like for example, mm-hmm. you know, growth days are a good way to do this and saying like, you know what? Next Thursday, I am not gonna do anything. Yeah. I have to move patients, gonna have to do things. And I know some systems are very, a little bit challenging in that respect, but I think that if we are compelling enough we can create these spaces in time for us. I just actually posted this in the Facebook group about creating growth days. And someone's like, well, I can't in July because I'm all booked. I was like, that's not mm-hmm. the point. The point is you look at the day and say, like I'm moving everything yeah. on this day. This date is not no longer designated for seeing patients or going to the meetings. Like this day is now mine. And the ability to look at this and sort of stake your claim rather than wait for a spot to open is how we start becoming You know, creators of our time, where we start to create the space where it's possible because no one is actually going to create that space for us. Exactly. They're just going
1: to take more of your space if you're going to keep giving it to them. And that's why I love starting with values and a really interesting and sometimes confronting exercise is to take a look at the values. I have my clients do this and I recommend everyone do this. Let's look at your values and let's look at your 30 day schedule from last month. And what percentage of the time did you spend? Like, does it correlate? Does your the time activities the the activities you spent time on correlate with your core values? And when I did, did this exercise a few years ago, I was I was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't. There's no correlation here. Cause I was constantly reacting to what other people wanted for me instead of what I wanted for me. And That's really ultimately a wonderful use of a growth day. Let's, let's just take a look at the facts here. What are these things I'm spending my time on and do they correlate with how my, with my values? If not, then what's one thing, what's the easiest thing to change for next month?
0: Yeah, I I do something similar, but I don't really start necessarily with values. I start with roles, like the, the roles that we all play, you know, surgeon, mother, daughter, sister, friend, you know, things like that. And these roles like shift and change over time. But when you really elaborate the roles that you're playing now, and I think I t- tend to request limiting it to six in a six month frame. Mm-hmm. you know, like what are the, the six big roles we're going to be playing? It's fun to watch how no one picks themselves. <laughs> like yes. me as an individual just doesn't happen to have on there, which of course, mm-hmm. if we don't identify that as a role that we're playing, then we're not going to put it on the calendar. And so that's where I think really clarifying what we're doing and showing it how it shows up on our calendar is a, is a good way to start. And not judging ourselves if a role takes more. Like sometimes my role as an individual needs more space than my role as a surgeon. I could still go and do the cases and do the clinic. But and I mean, that's all it gets for me in this week. And the, the rest of the time, I'm doing other things for myself and things like that. Is clarifying what the roles are and that they vary over time. And asking myself, like, what does this role have to offer me? And what mm-hmm. do I have to offer this role is a really great way to clarify why we're doing some things. And do we want to keep this role? And I add new ones all the time. I mean, I realized that I was missing a role of surgeon and CEO, which is prioritizing the time it takes to plan, which is not income generating overtly. But when you step back and say, I've got to plan these things. It really does save you a lot of time down the line, but you have to mm-hmm. honor that time and recognize it's necessary and put it on the schedule. Otherwise, you'll miss it. And I think spending time of uh, periodically assessing your roles and and are you missing something and how is the calendar working for you and how is it not is is a way that I kind of approach weekly work. Yeah, I
1: think that's fantastic, and it sounds like the underlying concept of that is identity work. Really, like there are these roles that I'm playing, are not who I am. They're identities that I take on by choice. Mm-hmm. And there's a separation between these roles and me at my core, who I am. And I think that's really powerful because so there's so many of us that the identity the, that we take on most often is physician. But then what happens is that bleeds into our life. Like I'm a, I'm a surgeon at work and I'm a surgeon at home. And the identities bleed in. Instead of realizing that surgeon is one role I play, but who I am at my core is something way bigger than that.
0: Yeah, totally. And that will also help us if something happens to that role, either by choice or not by choice. It does not really rock our core identity. Absolutely. So when it comes to like the work that you do, like how do people find you? Most people find me through my podcast, Rebel
1: Physician, or I'm most active on Instagram, sometimes LinkedIn. So people usually find me through that, through those avenues.
0: Perfect. Yes. I know a lot of people have sought you out by word of mouth and all too, but Mm -hmm. I I don't think that everyone realizes all the things that you are doing that are out there in the world. Yes,
1: I, I I definitely I don't I, I take for granted word of mouth because I think that's so powerful, especially in the physician community. Like let's spread the word about who is helping
0: you create the career that you want, like you,
1: of course, too.
0: <laughs> and it's easy to get lost in the sea of, you know, coaches because I think what's really fantastic in the world is that there are so many options that are available and people are starting to appreciate the whole coaching aspect of this too and the mind work that we're all doing. And I think that it can only improve medicine. So I appreciate all that you're doing when it comes to the podcast and the program and you know your book that's coming out in what a year or so and you know all the things that that you're doing to contribute so we can learn from what we live through so other people don't have to. There's something to be said about the exponential effect that we have on the world. <laughs> I
1: agree. And I think that the more of us that are willing to take the first scary step and do things that don't make sense and then land on our feet and thrive, the more other physicians are going to be empowered to do the same. So I think that's great.
0: I completely agree. Well, Dr. Yates, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I hope everyone checks out the Rebel Physician podcast for and works with you so they can kind of get out of their own way as well. Thank you so much. For more information on the BOSS Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.